Hello and welcome to the Rob Burgess Show. I am, of course, your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our 98th episode, our guest is Tom Lobianco. Tom Lobianco is a White House reporter covering Vice President Mike Pence and the probes into President Donald Trump and Russia for the Associated Press. And now on to the show. Hi, I'm uh, Tom Lobianco. I'm a reporter at the Associated Press. Uh, and I'm uh, also writing a biography of uh, Vice President Mike Pence, former governor of Indiana. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you're you're probably more qualified than most to uh, to do that since you've you've been uh, following his career for for quite a while. So. <laughs> <laughs> He's the, you know, there's not many of us who find him interesting, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but that's kind of his brand though, right? I mean, that's kind of the way he's carried himself throughout his career is just kind of being the, uh, you know, stiff, uh, spined, uh, conservative, uh, warrior there. So I think it's kind of been his, uh, his style to be that person. So yeah, totally. I think that's by, I think that's by design. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. It appears to be a conscious decision on his part. <laughs> for sure, um, yeah. But uh, but you've had. Uh, I always thought it was interesting. Uh, you've you've had a lot of different uh, jobs, and you've had a very varied career. And um, one thing I thought was interesting, kind of looking back over all your uh, your previous uh, positions, there is that you worked as a research assistant for Michael Dukakis, which I thought was really interesting. Um, what was that like? I did. Yes, actually, I'm sitting. Uh here, uh, talking with you from Union Station, mm-hmm. uh, right, the, uh, right outside the Amtrak gates, <laughs> and uh, and I used to study transportation. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I used to study uh, trains, commuter rail. Okay. Cool. And uh, that was um, back in the graduate school, so I went to grad school for political science, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, got my master's. Can you uh, can you hear me all right with? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, you're fine. Okay. You're fine. Good. Okay, good. Um, so, I went to graduate school for political science. I went to undergrad uh, and got my uh, uh, bachelor's degree in journalism at the University of Maryland. And um, and I sort of followed a uh, my old college girlfriend uh, up north. <laughs> she, uh, she was uh, she was going to uh, Quinnipiac, which is in um, Connecticut, New Haven, Connecticut. Okay. And uh, I was I was looking at graduate schools um, in different places because I wanted to do uh, political science. And um, and and frankly, I reached a point. You know, at, at there was a point where I thought I would actually be working on that side of things mm-hmm. in, in politics mm-hmm. and government. Um, so yeah, I, I was incredibly fortunate to um, work with uh, then then Professor Dukakis. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's always, he, always Professor Dukakis in, in my mind, um, <laughs> but of course, uh, famous, famous of course for being 1988 um, nominee. Oh yeah, absolutely. Democrat. Oh, for sure. Um, but you know, he's a huge rail fan mm. and uh, real big into commuter rail, and um, and that's why I used to study. So I used to um, look into uh, things like environmental impact statements on uh, commuter rail projects all mm. across the state of. Uh, Massachusetts. Mm, okay. Yeah, and then you also worked as uh, for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts in in, in that very uh, department, right? For the transportation. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 close. I, I, I was actually uh, I worked for the uh, 
state uh, the state uh, senate uh, uh, the chairman of the joint transportation committee okay. Stephen Vador. Um, funny um, funny story about that. Uh, Vador's district, which is in northeast um, Massachusetts, kind of runs over to the coast. Mm-hmm. Um, in Gloucester um, carries a significant amount of the original gerrymander district. Oh, okay. Ed- Edwin Jerry, yeah. the, the original. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Um, the old, uh, I think it was the old governor, I can't recall, but, you know, about 150 years ago, and that thing has snaked its way up through um, the manufacturing towns of northern uh, Massachusetts out, uh, out to the coast. Mm-hmm. And um, and I always got a laugh out of that. I think he had a little bit more of the uh, of the uh, the beak on that um, the uh, that gerrymander uh, from the old political cartoon. Sure. Yeah. So um, yeah, man. And that, and you know, I'll tell you that was interesting too. I I um, so he's a state senator, uh, and um, and I, I did uh, I did uh, communications for him. I was mm-hmm. deputy comms director, so I'd write press releases and uh, help him with speeches and uh, and correspondence. And uh, I'll tell you, man, I learned a lot about the way things really work. Mm-hmm. Uh, the machinery that's always turning in the background, and you know if you. You got a, a a journalist listening to this. I mean, the the political types already know this, but for the journalist listening to this, the gears are always turning mm. in ways that we never see, mm. and that's our. I mean, that's our goal, mm-hmm. really, to get behind things mm-hmm. and try as best we can. Now, it's tough because you don't want to get, you know, get stuck in the weeds and get involved in things like, you know, palace drama mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, you know, process. But it's important to point out that, you know, what you see, when you see a press, something as silly as a press release about a new playground being installed at the, the local high school, elementary school, whatever, I think gears were turning on that, you know, days, weeks, maybe you know, months before that. Right. And you never know. Sometimes it might be a, you know, it might be a swap out. It might be a political trade. Mm-hmm. You know, people, people collect chips. Mm-hmm. C H I T S. Right. And, uh, and then trade them. That's, yeah. Uh, that's how that's how politics works. Yeah. Well, that's that's a great point because yeah, my next question was uh, what it was like to make that transition from working on the inside to kind of covering it from the outside. But it sounds like that you did get a pretty good perspective of even things we find mundane, like you were probably edited to the an inch of their life, you know, <laughs> on the other end. So. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, it was interesting. It was kind of a return to journalism because uh-huh. I'd uh, I'd covered uh, Maryland uh, a little bit in uh, during undergrad and worked at the mm-hmm. uh, student newspaper, the uh, the Diamondback, back mm-hmm. in the day, and um, and uh, and I, you know, I did I did politics for for a while. I'd, um, I volunteered on uh, Deval Patrick's campaign. We all had to do that as a uh, as members of the. Um, you know the Bador team. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just the way things are. You know, and you have to you have to do campaigning. It's intense. Mm-hmm. You know, this is how that's how things work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, it was a great experience. I learned a ton. Um, but I also learned that I didn't really like controlling the flow of information to the public. I was kind of more of a I don't know. I guess an anarchist <laughs> in that regard. <laughs> you know. 
<laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but uh, when I when I uh, that kind of leads me into when I first became aware of your work uh, was when you were working for the AP in Indianapolis, of course, and um, you did the FOIA uh, famous FOIA request for uh, Mitch Daniels's uh, emails there with uh, Tony Bennett. Um, I'm, I'm of course maybe a little bit biased uh, to liking your work because I actually won a, won one of my first journalism <laughs> awards based on uh, your reporting, so I, I do appreciate that. But um, <laughs> so you know, I'm, I may be a little bit. I'm revealing my biases a little bit right now. But um, but uh, what you know, what tipped you off that you should FOIA those those emails? Was that like something where you like there's something here I need to see between this time and this time, or what? What kind of led you to that? I'll tell you the. Uh, Having been around, I covered Maryland politics uh, mm-hmm. for four years before that. I, at that point, um, I'd been covering the Indiana State House for about you know, about two years. Mm-hmm. Um, had a pretty good lay of the land. You know, we'd, we'd just been through the 2012 election, mm-hmm. and you know, one of the things I noticed was that FOIA requests, generally speaking, did not get filled, mm-hmm. and. And that's just a, you know, look, that's how things work. Mm-hmm. If you're, if you work in a democratic state, your FOIAs don't get filled there. They drag out for forever. And, um, and it's terrible. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there were some examples of that, um, under the Daniels administration. And, um, and I thought to myself, because I'd heard, you know, I'd heard a little bit, uh, you know, we, we call it scuttlebutt, you know, uh, <laughs> the, the rumors, the chatter, that you pick up around the hallways inside the state house, inside um, the city county building. And um, I just thought to myself, I'm like, you know, if there's one chance I'm ever going to get it, getting a FOIA answered, it's going to be because the Democrats just took a hold of an office that was held by a Republican beforehand. Right. <laughs> and I thought to myself, you know, I was looking for anything because, frankly, anything would be interesting because we hadn't seen a lot behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. They had done such a good job protecting what goes on behind the scenes that anything you can pull out of there would be fascinating. Mm-hmm. And damned if it wasn't. The mm-hmm. language was spectacular. You know, because I wanted, I wanted, I wanted correspondence about Daniels. I wanted correspondence about the most powerful man in the state, and that was mm-hmm. Mitch Daniels, the governor. Right. And you can, you know, for the journalists listening to this, I mean, for the younger, the older journalists know this, but you know, by heart at this point. So, you know, my apologies for repeating uh, <laughs> some common wisdom here. But for the for the younger folks, you know, you don't always have to get documents about the governor. If you're covering the state house, you do not always have to get documents about the governor from the governor's office mm. because the governor will send messages to the other agencies. Mm. Okay. I see where you're going. Yeah, so this was uh, emails that he had sent to Tony Bennett, and that is the way that you got access to them was by going that route instead of straight at the uh, the throne, as it were. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Well, that, exactly. That, that makes sense, yeah. Did you have to say, like, I want everything between this time and this time, or what was the process for filing that uh, FOIA that, that you went through? Well, you do want to give, a, I forget the exact line, mm-hmm. uh, term. there's a term of art for it, um, uh, but, you know, you want to give some reasonable specificity mm-hmm. to it. And, um, and you know, the, I, look, there's a, the easiest way to do that, and the, um, 
And the Indiana Public Access Counselor uh, does a good job detailing this. Um, I think it's, is it still Luke? Is it still, Luke, uh, Luke Britt, yeah, yeah, I believe he's still yeah, in, the, in the position, yeah. Mm-hmm. Luke's a good, good dude. Yeah. And always, always ready to help journalists. Absolutely. And uh, if you have any questions, always check with him first. Mm-hmm. Try to be reasonable. Realize that these folks are, you know, they got day jobs too. You know, you can't sit sifting through 20,000 emails. That's just, you know, ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, you know, you just be clear, right? Say, I want correspondence between Governor Mitch Daniels uh, and Secretary of Education Tony Bennett. Um, I think I think I've, I, I don't have it in front of me, but I'm pretty sure I threw, out, I threw it out there for the entirety of uh, Bennett's term in office. Oh wow! Because okay. that's what. Yeah, it's four years. So, <laughs> but that, that, that the time frame might not be reasonably specific, but the uh, the parties should be mm-hmm. because you're looking for emails between just two people there. Right. And I think I, I think I threw in some other names as well. Um, top staffers like chief of staff, um, legislative director, uh, a few others, mm-hmm. um, trying to cast the net just a little bit wider. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, man, I, you know, I remember when I, when I first got the, uh, the first batch of emails back, I was reading through this thing and I was looking at it. I was like, is Mitch Daniels just destroying Howard's in here? This is the funniest <laughs> thing in the world. <laughs> Yeah, if people haven't read them yet, you should definitely go back and find them, and I'll, I'll post a link to them. But uh, it was it was like uh, I forget the exact wording, but it was like, can we get this un-American? Burr, 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 like talking about this World War II bombardier, like he's some uh, you know <laughs> long-haired uh, you know <laughs> hippie or something. It's like, wow, okay, <laughs> this is interesting. On on uh, state email, by the way, uh, which is totally yeah. you know seeable by anybody that you know has your uh, <laughs> FOIA, you know, to put some as a FOIA request for. <laughs> but, right. Yeah. Well, and I think it was, and it was interesting to me mm-hmm. was what he was doing, which is that he was trying to ban the book, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he was trying to say, how do we get this book out of college classrooms? Yep. How do we take it? And specifically, there was part of a, a broader effort to redo the way that teachers are taught. Right. And that's a whole different rabbit hole mm-hmm. to fall down. Right. Absolutely. But but it was fascinating. I had I had somebody uh, who pointed out to me that the one of the most important details of it, and I still remember it, the numbers, the time, the timestamps on each thing. Sorry, I'm walking away from this uh, this loudspeaker. Oh, that's okay. I just remember that the timestamps on it were like immediate. Mm. Was, they were tra- they were trading emails in real time. As soon as as soon as he would get a reply, he mm-hmm. fired back. He was looping in other people. He was uh, they were uh, debating precisely how you're going to handle this thing. <laughs> how all the ways you could get rid of you know remove a book from a classroom and um and i think it was over the course of like you know 45 minutes he ended at okay do it go Mm -hmm. get rid of it make sure that this book is not being used in classes that receive credit Mm -hmm. period right and 
And I just remember reading the timestamps, and I was like, my God, this is a priority priority for this guy. Mm-hmm. He's not, you know, he's he's the governor. He must have a million things that he has to do, mm-hmm. right? Right. So, that, you know, and that's what, like, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, you might not see in the moment. I mean, obviously, I, I sort of saw the... Uh, the wild language mm-hmm. <laughs> that was being used. And I mean, that was hilarious in and of itself. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but now he's the head of a uh, educational institution there at a Purdue university. So. <laughs> he is, and I, and I, I hear they're, um, I hear they're expanding. Uh, oh yeah. They, uh, they bought up uh, that uh, private uh, online university now. Kaplan, is that mm-hmm. it? Yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, but uh, you uh, also, when you were uh, at AP, you uh, covered Mike Pence's, uh, I liked how you put this in your, I was looking at your LinkedIn profile, and you said his White, White House flirtations. Uh, I thought that was a, a good uh, way to put it. Uh, so, and uh, of course, you're, like you said, you're writing a book about Mike Pence now. Um, it was always pretty obvious, I think, to everyone who was paying attention in the state that his eyes were always kind of on that bigger prize uh, from the beginning. I mean, that was pretty obvious to everyone, right? I mean, he always wanted that brass ring or whatever, so. Well, I got to be honest with you. I never, I was never quite sure what to make of it when I was covering him because, you know, people would talk about that and he was very polished and very scripted and obviously an incredibly disciplined politician. Mm-hmm. He is, I, I, I think, he's the most disciplined politician I've ever covered. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I've covered, so I covered Martin O'Malley in Maryland. Uh, I covered Bob Ehrlich for a little bit when he was governor of Maryland and Mitch Daniels of course, and then, and then Pence. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just amazing to me, his uh, his ability to stay on script, to not get um, phased by questions, uh, and to not really, I wouldn't say he was ever nimble or agile in talking about uh, uh, areas, but he was always kind of on a single track, one, one track forward, mm-hmm. which is the, you know, the determined path. And um, and I you know I knew that people out people out here in Washington had talked about him a fair bit uh, running trying to run for president uh, testing the idea in 2012 uh, ahead of the 2012 um, primaries. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't I just I don't know I, was, I guess I was just skeptical of it. And you know throughout his term I remember he would go to these uh, these fundraisers in New York City, and um, you know I was I was skeptical of that too. Um, but I think I kind of got my answer this one time. I remember uh, it was right on the second floor of the state house. This was back in 2014. And I looked, and, uh, I looked at him and I was just like, I just, I said, I said, Governor, are you running for president? And I was really interested, like not because I want you know want the quote. I was like, I was genuinely interested because I couldn't figure it out. And uh, and he and he just kind of looked and smiled and started laughing. And then he gave the standard answer about you know the priority being uh, the the uh, bringing jobs back to Indiana. Job one is uh, bringing mm-hmm. back uh, bringing the jobs to Indiana. And uh, this is the greatest, you know, the most humbling experience of his life. Um, you know, the standard answer. Um, but it wasn't, uh, you know what? It, uh, yeah. It was, it was pretty telling. Yeah. Now, of course, you know, 
we soon found out that he wasn't going to run for president. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, when he announced it, I think it was May, t- May 2015, he said he was uh, was not going to run for president. Right. Um, which is, you know, the kind of... Um, Kind of early to make that decision, but obviously the you know the damage from uh, mm-hmm. from uh, Rifra had been so severe. Oh, absolutely. That they had some serious repair work that had to be done. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and then of course, uh, you after you worked uh, there, you worked at the Indy Star, but then you went to uh, CNN uh, just fortuitously uh, in time to start covering this uh, last crazy election <laughs> uh, and uh, covering the improbable rise of Donald Trump. Um, <laughs> you. you uh, you attended some Trump rallies. Uh, what was that like? I only saw that on TV and stuff, but you were there firsthand, so I have to know. Like, what was what was that? <laughs> oh, they're wild, man. They're wild. It's like, um, you know, I'll tell you the tr- the Trump rallies and the and the Sanders rallies both had. Mm. And this is remarkable to me. I, I was very fortunate to be able to go to bo- uh, both um, a couple times, mm-hmm. and they just felt like rock concerts. Hmm. And I mean, if you could look, I, you know, I covered Congress a little bit before uh, before I went out to Indiana, and uh, and uh, the uh, the Bernie Sanders that I knew was the independent Democratic Socialist from Vermont, the uh, the uh, the lone representative uh, in the House, and um, you know, the, the socialist with the crazy hair, right? Who no who nobody listened to, mm-hmm. like nobody paid attention to, and that's. I mean, that's who Bernie Sanders was. And to walk into, you know, an arena in Cleveland, Ohio, just packed to the gills with people screaming, waiting to hear from him deliver the same speech he's been delivering for, you know, four four decades, I I, I think. I mean, it, it it was insane. Right. And I'll tell you, it was, you know, that that was its own style. Trump just was, you know, light years beyond that. And, I mean, in terms of his style, how he was doing it, uh, he was a uh, he was riffing. You know, he was he was jamming. He was playing off the crowd, mm-hmm. and um, and that crowd. They, I mean, they loved them. Now, you know, I, I ran into, I remember I was out in Iowa uh, back at, I think it was January of 2016, right before the, uh, uh, probably a couple weeks before the caucuses. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, and I remember talking with some voters who were sitting in the bleachers. And, you know, they weren't wearing, like, Trump regalia. They weren't wearing, like, you know, American flag uh, regalia. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, just normal folks. Uh hoodies, jeans, and, uh, and I said, so are you guys, uh, you know, you guys Trump voters, you uh, big supporters, who are you going to vote for in the Republican primary? They're like, no, we all know, we all know if we're going to vote. We're just here to see the spectacle. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Well, that, that's pretty telling. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty interesting. I, I got to tell you, though, I mean, I, I drove, you know, I was still working in Kokomo at the time, but I drove every day between Noblesville and Kokomo, and there was, you know, I couldn't even tell you what a Hillary Clinton sign looked like, and yet I was still just, I was totally gobsmacked that he won. I was totally taken by surprise. Uh, were How did, did, were you taken by surprise at all? Did you expect this, having seen it firsthand? Like, were you like, yep, I, I understand this, or? <laughs> so, I mean, uh, yeah. 
I mean, look, I think I think every I think every political reporter was really shocked by this mm-hmm. um, because, and here's why: it's not because you know political reporters are uh, you know hate Trump or love Clinton or or, what, mm-hmm. or whatever. It's because we have uh, barometers of gauging these things. Mm-hmm. You know, we we do things like uh, talk with voters, try to get a sense of where they're at. Uh, we rely on polls all the time, mm-hmm. um, and as and I look at, I think at least as it turns out, rely too heavily on polls. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, look, all the polling, I, I uh, the and the polling aggregators. This is funny. You know, like people like uh, Nate Silver, <laughs> um, you know, five thirty-eight, right. New York Times polling aggregators, uh-huh. and. They all had Hillary Clinton winning, uh, like by like, like a ninety percent chance of winning, mm-hmm. all all the way up until about like eight o'clock at night. Then it started slipping a little bit, and by slipping, I mean eighty percent chance of winning. Right, and you know all of the all of the metrics point into her winning, mm-hmm. and the metrics were wrong. Mm-hmm. The metrics didn't capture. Where the the metrics didn't capture. I'm not going to say where the entire populace won because you know have to remember that she still won the popular vote by three million votes. Mm-hmm. But it didn't capture where the populace was in the in the important spots mm-hmm. in the in the Rust Belt. It didn't capture uh, the feeling in uh, in Florida. It didn't capture the feeling in uh, these key states that uh, that Trump just won handily. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, look, I, everyone out here says, everyone out here in Washington says that Trump was, or that uh, Pence was supposed to lose re-election. And that, that was, like, guaranteed that he was going to lose re-election as governor. Mm-hmm. But I try to remind, I try to remind folks here that no way. No way he would have lost re-election. He would have trounced in that in that election because of the Trump effect on the Republican ticket. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I, you know. I'm, yeah. And you know, I think that John. I mean, I think that John Gregg probably came the closest he he was ever going to yeah. in 2012. Yeah, I was just pouring one out for John Gregg as you were saying that. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And his uh, his walrus mustache too. Shout out to him. But um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, you're right about that. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. People do talk about it. Like, oh, he definitely would. You know, that riffer stuff hurt him bad, and it did. I'm not going to say it, it didn't because it was definitely a big, you know, embarrassment for the state, uh, you know, PR wise. But like you said, that Trump coattails was were pretty long, and you know, they had all three, you know, three branches of government after that, and that's not an accident. So, I mean, look, Todd, Todd Young Trump. Oh, bye. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and they had to, and uh, you know, they uh, Chuck Schumer, the Senate Democratic leader had to work his tail off to pull by out of retirement. Yeah, that was always... I, I actually interviewed uh, Evan Bayh when he was campaigning that time. I thought that was kind of inter- an interesting swap, because wasn't, wasn't it Baron Hill that was going to be the person, and yeah. then they swapped it out? 
I don't yeah. know. That was yeah. They brought him out out of retirement. He was he was done. He was cool in his heels. He <laughs> he'd already served his time in, yeah. in the Senate, and yeah, they brought him back. So yeah, that was a pretty interesting one. But um, yeah, you're uh, you're back with uh, AP now, uh, covering the Trump Russia story, and I'm really glad to to talk to you right now because uh, I have to ask you about this Nunez memo and the competing Democratic memo, and and you know it's it it hasn't been released. We're recording on Thursday. Thursday night here, so I mean things may have changed by tomorrow by the time this goes out. But um, you know, what did you what did you make of that Nunez memo? And and also, I just you know I, I know you've reported on this in the past, but he had to re- recuse himself originally. How is he back anywhere near this? And how was he there in the first place? Because he was part of the transition team, right? I mean, that's you know how is he investigating anything when he could be the subject or one of them? So, well, I mean, all all good questions. Uh, yeah, I guess. The- and a lot to uh, uh, pick apart there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess we'll start. Uh, the, so the Nunes memo is a is a uh, memo of um, now declassified intelligence mm-hmm. uh, that basically asserts that uh, that uh, Carter Page, a Trump campaign uh, advisor, uh, granted a marginal one at the best, mm-hmm. um, was the target of a political spying operation. Uh, by the uh, the FBI under uh, former President Barack Obama. Um, I mean, the the allegation is, and the core allegation um, is that uh, Obama was using the Justice Department to spy on uh, Trump. Uh, at the end of the day, that's what this uh, that's that's what the allegation boils down to. Mm-hmm. And um, and you know, it really has its roots in the um, uh, the Trump wiretap tweet. Remember when he said. Uh, uh, I guess it's about a year ago now. He had, he sent out an allegation that saying that his uh, he had his quote wires tapped at mm-hmm. uh, at Trump Tower. Um, now that that turned out to not be true, um, mm-hmm. literally. Um, but you could potentially extrapolate out from this um, that that's what he meant. Mm-hmm. Um, and you got to remember too that Nunes was collecting information from the White House intelligence from the White House from uh, contacts that he had over there. So, presumably this would have been something that the president might have known about already. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, maybe he didn't, uh, but he clearly knew after uh, uh, Nunes went there to brief him mm-hmm. on his findings. Right. So, now, you know, should Nunes have been heading the House Intelligence Committee after working on the, uh, the, the Trump transition team? Maybe, maybe not. I think, you know, there's a lot of people who have made some good points about that being a conflict of interest. Um, but the, the the flip side of that, the flip argument of that, is that that's just how transition teams are run very often. Hmm. Now, what makes a difference, obviously, is that the Trump campaign is under investigation. It's under investigation by, uh, by the Fed, um, by special counsel now. Um, at that point, it was just the FBI. Um, a pair of congressional probes. So I think there's a fair question. Now, some people raise that question when it comes to the uh, Senate Intelligence Chairman, Richard Burr. Um, I don't think there's as strong a foothold there because uh, Burr was not Burr was not tied into the Trump campaign quite the same way that uh, that Nunes was. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a if if there's an argument to be made, there's definitely a stronger one in Nunes's case. Right. Right. Uh, so now memos. Why are we 
talking about memos. <laughs> Maybe we should be talking about white papers. I, I don't know. Um, they wrote this. He wrote a memo where he makes the allegation. Nunes does um, about the uh, about the spying. Now, all 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 evidence based on that memo that now that we've seen it um, doesn't seem to there's there doesn't seem to be any support for that allegation. At least not that we have seen yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Democrats on the committee, in the House Intelligence Committee, have come up with a counter memo, a rebuttal memo, mm-hmm. and they're trying to run this through a process of declassification that uh, that runs straight through Trump. So mm-hmm. as we sit here on Thursday night, uh, one of the big questions is, will Trump declassify uh, the intelligence in a, in a memo that that theoretically rebuts the claims uh, that are that are for him. So would he uh, declassify intelligence that opposes him? Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, you know, it's a key. It's a good question of fairness. I, you know, I don't know. We don't have right now. We do not have an answer on that. We're right. going to find out in 24 hours. Right. Well, and there's other people that are speculating that if he doesn't approve it, that then Adam Schiff, the person that you know is the Democratic, uh, you know leader on that committee might just go on the floor of Congress and just read it, you know, just, just read it out, you know, into the record. And, uh, I don't know, would somebody tackle him if he did that? I'm not sure what would happen exactly. So <laughs> yeah, there's, there's been some talk of that. You know, um, I asked Schiff that, or one of us asked Schiff that, I can't remember who, it was uh-huh. a couple days ago. And, um, he said he wouldn't do something like that. Hmm. Okay. Um, now, you know, that might have changed, um, in the past couple days. Um, but, uh, um, but, you know, look, this points to a very interesting dynamic, which we've never seen before, which is uh, this House committee, the House Intelligence Committee, which oversees the intelligence agencies, mm-hmm. has the power not to declassify information, but to override classifications, mm-hmm. which is to say they can release the information without fear of reprisal. They have that power. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you or I get a hold of classified information and publish it on Twitter, uh, that would be a felony. Mm-hmm. So, but if, um, but there's now there's a process for it. It's not like you can just go throwing it out there any, any way you want. That's the process that we're going through now with the memo, mm-hmm. right? So you have to, um, you have to take a vote inside the committee, um, on whether to release the information. Uh, if you do that, then the president has five days to override that override of the classification. And then if the president overrides the override, then the full house of representatives can take a vote to override his override of the override. <laughs> it's like a Russian nesting doll to use a pun. <laughs> but, uh, and if you really, and if you want to get, you know, the, then there's the, the nuclear option in all this, which is just read the thing on the floor of the house, yep. which you can do. You mm-hmm. can read it into the record. That right. is an option. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's considered a very aggressive one and not one that uh, most most of these guys want to do. Right. And, and, you know, I think the classification kind of revolves, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think it revolves around this FISA court that's involved because those are usually completely secret, right? We don't even know when those are happening. So that, you know, is very sensitive information normally, right? I mean, look, the fact that I could tell you right now that uh, that they, uh, uh, the FBI obtained a FISA warrant for... Uh, uh, for Carter Page, uh, 
is pretty remarkable. Uh-huh. I mean, that you wouldn't, we would never see information like that. Right. That's kind of where we are right now. And, you know, it's a good reminder that what's happening right now in public uh, is information warfare. Mm-hmm. It is a there's a there's a back and forth going between the Democrats and the Republicans uh, in this, and uh, you know I try I, I try to keep this in in the back of my mind through all this, which is that the the real investigation, the the Mueller investigation, mm-hmm. we have very little insight into. Oh right, so, yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, when George Papadopoulos was. You know, uh, I never heard his name once before that, you know, all came out. And it's like, apparently this has been happening for months. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So we don't even know what he knows at this point. Right. Exactly. I mean, it was was fascinating that Papadopoulos, I mean, the the details were just incredible. Mm -hmm. Say, alleging that he could set up meetings with... uh, with Putin and Trump directly, and you know, believing that he was getting in, t- in touch with, uh, I think it was Putin's niece uh, out in uh, London, and uh, I mean, just incredible. It's like spy novel type stuff. It's oh hilarious. yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, now to bring it back to Mike Pence a little bit, um, you know, he's been kind of, I feel like, shielded a little bit because he's kind of been uh, one step away from everything, but. Isn't he kind of, you know, mixed up in all this investigation because he was the head of the transition? And, uh, you know, I mean, there was that uh, letter that Elijah Cummings sent to him before uh, the inauguration talking about, uh, you know, Michael Flynn. And, you know, uh, he claims not to have known anything. And, you know, so I feel like he's still, you know, might be culpable in that even if he wasn't directly involved, he was overseeing a, a very key part of the, you know, the presidency there. So. Well, it's a big question. And, um, you know, remember, remember what we said earlier about him being incredibly disciplined. Mm-hmm. He's also incredibly cautious. Yeah. Um, now, can you, is, is, can you, can you exercise enough caution in Trump world? <laughs> That's uh, a good I point. don't know the answer to that. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I think we're going to, I think we're going to find out the answer to that. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> but there, there has been some, there has been some information. Um, uh, there's been some questions from uh, the House investigators. Um, they want to hear from them. Um, there's a report in the Wall Street Journal to that effect. Um, it's hard to tell. Mm-hmm. It, you know, um, uh, yeah, I, wrote, I wrote a story with my uh, colleague Ken Thomas uh, kind of about the uh, Pence's ability to avoid danger, mm-hmm. to avoid traps, uh, to avoid a lot of the, the uh, pitfalls that, you know, caused uh, just this, you know, chaos inside the White House for uh, other Trump advisors. Yeah. And, um, and uh, it was fascinating because people who have read through the transition emails on the House Intelligence Committee said they could just could not find his name anywhere. In hmm. And what was interesting about that is that he was the director of the transition. Right. So now, look, now here's the, here's what the, Pence, the official Pence response on this is that uh, even though he's the director of the transition, it doesn't mean that he would have been sending emails, would have been replying to emails, or that he even would have been written about in those emails. Mm. Um, so, you know, 
there's some big questions there about mm-hmm. you know was it was there any exposure? Um, the Flynn stuff is very interesting. Uh, you remember when when Flynn got um, uh, got picked up by uh, or went in uh, and uh, uh, agreed to the plea deal? Uh, they said that. Um, the Pence, uh, Pence's office said that they felt vindicated by that because it proved that Flynn had lied. Hmm. It's in, it in the court documents. And you know what? That's uh, yeah. It's, you know, he had hid that from them by by all accounts. We don't we do we don't have it. We we do not know otherwise. Um, now, if that turns out not to be the case, um, that is a huge uh, a huge problem point for Pence. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. I mean, look. If you're if you're in the Trump transition team, you're in the Trump campaign. If you're in the Trump White House, um, this could touch you. Mm-hmm. In, in, in any way, it's it's sprawling out, and you know we just. I mean, this thing is is gone from being an investigation about potential collusion to now including in uh, questions of obstruction of justice. Right. Um, and that goes that goes right into the White House. It had nothing to do with you know Russians reaching out to uh, to members of the Trump campaign. It was all about them trying, as they say, the cover up. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I don't think it's insignificant that Pence is the only person in the White House that Trump can't fire. So <laughs> he probably pl- scored himself a plum deal there. So <laughs> that is that is how. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it helps when you have the Constitution at your back. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Um, now I know you're writing a book, like you said, about Mike Pence. Uh, any chance of getting an interview with him at this point? I doubt it. Right? I mean, probably not. <laughs> uh, it remains to be seen. Oh, really? Uh, oh, cool. Yeah. All right. I mean, it's a it's a biography of him. Why? I mean, why why wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's let's keep it open. Yeah. No. No. Let's let's don't close that door. Absolutely. <laughs> I hope you get it. That would be an interesting uh, thing. So, um, well, I know you got to go home. I don't want to keep you at the train station any longer. Uh, one more question before we go. I always ask this: yeah. what, what music have you been listening to lately? Oh boy. Okay, let's see. Um, make me pull up my Spotify. <laughs> gotta hope Spotify. I really hope Spotify doesn't go under. Um, well, I can tell you what my wife's playing. She's playing um, music together. Um, which is a uh, something we play for our baby, Aww. and it's like <laughs> so she's she's probably putting her to sleep right now. Um, here we go. I've been on a big like uh, '90s uh, metal kick recently, so I was listening to a little corrosion of conformity. Whoa, uh, bringing it back. <laughs> yeah, man. Here's the here's the clash. Here's the Sean White snowboarding uh, uh, official soundtrack. Oh my gosh. Rock on there. <laughs> uh, Got any Tony Hawk skate, skateboarder uh, soundtrack uh, uh, on there? <laughs> yeah, totally, man. Um, let's see. Here's the Guitar Hero 3 Legends of Rock soundtrack. Nice. That's a good one. Nice. Uh... Here's the uh, 311. Okay. I, I will admit, I enjoy 311. I, the self-titled album that was one of my first albums. I'm not even gonna lie. That was <laughs> I was right there. <laughs> here's, some, here's some here's some Incubus on here. Wow, Definitely, man. <laughs> Steely Dan. I got I got some Steely Dan down in there too. There's no shame in your game, variety. is there? At all? <laughs> no, man. Not at all. <laughs> yeah, I think I said to somebody the other day, I'm uh, just appreciating Steely Dan years old. So. <laughs> Yeah, just starting to get into it. Yeah, they they pick the best people. I'll say that they really pick the best uh, players to surround themselves with. So I mean, there's there's no front on that. So <laughs> Dan's Dan's the best by far. Oh, by a mile. 
I always love. I, I always. I always love listening to Steel Dan when I'm writing. It's like so relaxed. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, hey man, uh, thanks you so much for jumping on the phone. I hope we can talk again soon. Uh, you know, good luck with your book. I, I would. I'm loving. You know, the idea of, of you writing about Mike Pence. I wouldn't uh, want to read anyone else about him. You, you've followed him longer <laughs> than anyone else I know. So. <laughs> Thank you, man. Yeah. Uh, Thank you, dude. And uh, man, keep keep on kicking ass out there. Awesome. Thank thank uh, thank God every day for you and every other Indiana journalist because ah. uh, it's you know it's uh, this this is what matters. You you, you never know when your governor is going to be picked for the White House. And then <laughs> and then and then every and then every uh, you know. And then every then every snotty Washington reporter has comes calling and like, well, hey, what actually happened back there? So that's right. You want to know about President Eric Holcomb? You got to come through me, baby. <laughs> that's right, man. Cool. Well, uh, hey, have a good night, and I'll uh, I'll talk to you soon, dude. Awesome. See you, man. All right. See you.
If you enjoy this podcast, there are several ways to support it. Join the Rob Burgess Show mailing list. Go to tinyletter.com forward slash the Rob Burgess Show and type in your email address. Then respond to the automatic message. I have a Patreon account, which can be found at patreon.com forward slash Rob Burgess Show Patreon. I hope you'll consider supporting in any amount. Also, please make sure to comment, follow, like, subscribe, share, rate, and review everywhere the podcast is available, including iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Facebook, Twitter, Internet Archive, TuneIn, and RSS. The official website for the podcast is www.therobburgessshow.com. You can find out more about me by visiting my website, www.thisburgess.com. And if you have something to say, record a voice memo on your smartphone and send it to therobburgessshow at gmail.com. Include voice memo in the subject line of the email. Until next time.